Today's scripture comes from Isaiah 43, verses 14 through 19. This is what the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, says. Because of you, I will send an army to Babylon and bring all of them as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. This is what the Lord says, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the raging water, who brings out the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty one together. They lie down. They do not rise again. They are extinguished, put out like a wick. Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to things of old. Look, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Well, if you have a copy of the scriptures this morning, we'll turn to Isaiah 43. It's one of the great, uh, to me, passages of scripture in all of the Bible. The last week or so and next week, we'll be looking at some of these announcements that God's prophet has made. We come to another Christmas season. We call it a a Christmas season. A season is like the winter that comes, spring, summer, fall, and there's change. There's change in the weather. There's change in events. There's change in scheduled activities. There's some things that never change, but much of life does change. 2018 is winding up, and a new year is about to begin. Some things for this past year have been memorable for you. You'll never forget them. There are other things that you would like to forget, (laughs) and you look forward to what God is going to do new. The text this morning, Isaiah 43, verse 19, is set into me a magnificent chapter of this prophetic section. But Isaiah says, look, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. We got introduced a little bit to Isaiah being a prophet, and we we typically think of a prophet as someone who stands up and announces something or speaks for God. And that's exactly what Isaiah was. He was born into a troubling time, and he was called to do something that was very difficult. In fact, you read the, the lives of the prophets, and they don't sound too exciting. It's like the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. You're going to spend your whole life telling people these things, and no one's going to listen to you. I think of that like Jeremiah. How could you be encouraged by that? And yet this is what was Isaiah's responsibility, and really it is a twofold way of communicating to God's people. One is to tell them what is right and what is true and that God is a just judge and he is going to judge the world in righteousness. He is rebuking them for their sins. He is calling them to repentance. And we had uh, mentioned that repentance 
is a change of mind that results in a change of life, to turn. Repentance is not just something we do when we are going our own way and believe upon Jesus and have eternal life, but repentance is something we should do every day. Because every day God's communicating to us through His Word. Every day God is speaking to us by His Spirit and calling us to change. And so repentance really is something that should be normal for every one of us. In Isaiah's day, he had this message of repent. You're coming under judgment because of your sin. But there's also a message of great hope. And to me, that's what's so beautiful about Isaiah. God does not look the other way when we sin or we do something wrong. He, he calls us to reckon, reckon with it. So these years before the birth of Christ... Isaiah is dealing with a people that have gone through this cycle of disobedience. It's like they, they disobey God and turn from God and live their own way. And God brings judgment because he loves them. He, he doesn't want to see them continue in that path of self-destruction. So God in his loving kindness ch- chastens his children. And so they repent and they turn to him. And uh, things are well. And then it doesn't take long, and they're back at it again. And so you just you keep going through this cycle. And that's really, when you read through the Old Testament, much of what we see. So Israel had gone through the, the cycle of unbelief, disobedience, repentance, coming back to God, all through the years from the time after David, Solomon, David and Solomon's reign to all of these kings that were leading them until finally uh, they're conquered by Babylon. We'll read about Babylon in here. They're one of many nations. uh, The northern tribes of of Israel were conquered by Syria. So then you have Babylon coming in and conquering. Then we'll read about Persia that conquers Babylon. And you think, how are all these things happening? Well, God is orchestrating all of this so that these people might know him and love him and worship him. And so this is a message. God is just, he is holy, he is righteous, and things look pretty bleak when we look at our sin, but there is the promised hope that he gives. And when he speaks about this new thing, uh, I'm going to do something new, I'm going to do something special, um, before you, speaks not just about the immediate future, but also forward to the coming of the Messiah. And you're going to see Jesus all through Isaiah. That's why I love going to Isaiah at, at, at Christmas, because so much of this is announced. So with all of the change, I want us just to, to notice, we're going we're gonna to look at verse 19 and, and kind of expand to this whole chapter uh, not, not in detail of every word, but of what he is saying, this announcement that he's making. First of all, you'll note this, that with all of the changes in seasons and all of the changes from years uh, gone by and all of the changes that we might expect this coming year, all of the changes that Israel has gone through, God is the same. God does not change. 
He does not change in his character. If you look at verse 15, he says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. What I think is so beautiful is the unfolding story of God's people, beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has talked about this heritage, and the heritage is one of faith. Abraham was noted because of his faith and passed that down to Isaac and Jacob. But he, but he makes mention in the first part of this chapter about who he's speaking to. He's speaking to God's children. If you look back to verse 1 of chapter 43, it says, Now this is what the Lord says, The one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And I will be with you. We call this uh, a double designation. Say, so what's what is what is that? Well, from from chapter forty to verse forty nine, God has used this double designation. In other words, he he calls one person by both names, Jacob, and then Israel. If you go back into the book of Genesis, you you see the story of Jacob. And Jacob was, from the very beginning, a man who was going to get it done his own way. He was just going to make it happen. In fact, this is what his name, his name means. His name means supplanter or literally heel snatcher. He was uh, the one that came out second, and he was grabbing onto his brother's uh, heel. And his entire life, he was conniving. He was trying to make it happen. He was trying to get it done. It, he was a testimony all through those, those years of trying to do this and do this and do this and do this. And this is how <clears throat> he identified himself. If someone asks you, what is, how, do you, how do you identify yourself? If someone put, say, it right up your resume of who you are, or someone were to say to you, how do you, how do you feel about yourself? What is your worth? Typically, we think about what we've done. Uh, could be a title, position, or accomplishment. I mean, I, I do. I just naturally think, well, I, I'd start describing my life by what I've done. And this would very much be Jacob. Jacob did a lot of stuff. And a lot of it wasn't honest. It was just whatever it took to get it done. And he kept, it, 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 it all came to this point in Genesis of him wrestling with God to get a blessing. In other words, it's, it's uh, this, I'm going to, and he, he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord saying, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. And so this is a, this is a picture of how we are naturally bent to get God's blessing and his favor and his approval and find our self-worth by what we do. But God changed his name after that wrestling match. And, and uh, he touched Jacob's thigh, and he put it out of joint, which must have been incredibly painful. <laughs> and it made, it made it such that he could not continue wrestling and fighting in his own strength, but simply cling to a representation of, of, of trust in the Lord. And so he changed his name to Israel. And Israel means prince with God. So his name 
is changed from Jacob, the one who's making it happen, identifying himself by what he does, to prince with God, identifying himself with who he is. In other words, how do you become a prince? Well, I mean, you don't do something to become a prince. A prince is, well, my dad's the king. (laughs) And so, uh, and and this this is how God wants you to think about yourself. Your worth and your value is not by what you do for God. Your value is the fact that he has claimed you as his own. You are his child. And, and, so, and when you get that in your mind and start living that way, it changes everything. So we go back to, to the beginning here of chapter 43. It says, this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and who has formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You're mine. Wow, that's, that's powerful. This is what the Lord has done for us. We have gone, like Jacob, from this finding approval, finding recognition, finding success by what I've done, what I've accomplished, to recognizing that my value is who I am. I'm God's child, as he would say, Jacob being prince with God. And then he goes on in verse 2 to says, I will be with you when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And he goes on to say, you are precious in my sight. Verse 4, verse 5, he says, do not fear, for I am with you. So this is God's promise. This is who God is. God does not change. And He's made this statement that your value, your preciousness to him is because of who you are, his child. Who is God? And I think this is, this is probably one of the most important things a Christian does on a regular basis is go over in your mind again who God is. Because how you view God will really dictate how you view everything else in life. When I have a flawed view of God, I'm going to have a flawed view of myself. I'm going to have a flawed view of my circumstances. I will have a flawed view of everyone around me. I will not see anything clearly. When I have a right view of God, it puts everything else in perspective. But I can tell you this, that I don't wake up in the morning naturally having a right view of God. I I tend to have life clouded by circumstances, by the things that change, by the things that have happened to me when, when a new season comes. But this is who God is. He is eternal. He has no beginning or end. He is transcendent. He overarches everything in life. He is unchanging in his ways. He is creator and sustainer of all things. He is holy and separate from sin. He is omnipresent. He is is right here in this place. He's right here with me. He's right here with you. But to the same degree, on the other side of the world, the most remote place, he's there. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. 
He is just and righteous. He is sovereign. In other words, he works everything with his attributes for his ultimate glory and our good. He is personable and he is knowable. And that's when we we celebrate this at Christmas is that, that God in heaven sent his son to be present with us. We call this the incarnation when Christ is, is here. He lived a perfect and holy life. Not just a good example, but he was the perfect offering and sacrifice for our sins. He died for us. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He will come again and receive us back, and he will restore all things. This is God. And when, when we drift from that knowledge, everything else gets to be in turmoil. To me, it, it is a regular discipline. And I think, how, how, do I, how do I see God? I see God in the face of his son. And his son reveals to me himself through his word. And every day that shapes the way that I think. So God is unchanging. In every changing circumstance, in every new season of life. And I think that if you look, for most of us, we've had some changes this past year. We've had new things that have happened. And a lot of those are, are, are things that we don't control, but, but, but things have changed. It, life is different now. But we know this, that God has not changed in who He is. He, he is steadfast in all of His ways. But we have a new season. And that's the second thing that I, that I, I marvel at in verse 19 when he, when he says, Do you not see this? I am about to do something new. And he is speaking from Babylon to Persia. It will eventually be Greece that overtakes. It becomes the world power and Rome. And we go all the way through these in the time of Rome to Christ, the Messiah. The new season will come. And what is new about all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, Jesus is the final one. All of the law that was, was uh, in front of people and they were attempting to obey, now something new is here, and that is Messiah, is Jesus. This is God's way, and it's God's way for you. And I find this, that in every new season of my life, God is wanting to do something new. It's the nature of our lives in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passing away, and see, the new has come. So this is, this is the progress that God wants to work in your life. And, and this is why I think there's a great time to again focus on it. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus, I believe. I accept the free gift. He calls me his child. Everything changes. I become a child of God. And he begins the process of changing my life in new ways to be less and less like I was and to be more and more like his son. And this should be a lifelong process, a lifelong change. But I, here's what I, I find is we get, we come into this problem. We get into a rut. 
I mean, we just, it's almost like repeat, 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 repeat. And pretty soon you've got, it's not like you've really grown. You've not really become new. You've not really changed. You've not really grown in your faith. You've just kind of done the same old thing over and over again. That's not what God has for you. He wants you to experience the newness and the freshness of, of his transforming power in your life constantly. So the question is, what, what new thing is God working in your life? The same way he was working in Israel. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Not that I have, Paul, Paul speaking here, the Apostle Paul, not that I have already reached the goal, not that I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. This is by faith, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now you picture this, I want to lay hold of Christ. In other words, embrace what Christ is doing in my life because he has embraced me. He has taken me in. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The greatest gift in all of life is the gift of eternal life. And I don't think that we could ever spend enough time sharing that, talking about it, glorying in it, thanking God for it, that by simple faith, the faith of a child, putting our faith and trust in Jesus, we can have eternal life and be in heaven forever. And so every time there's a funeral, we have that hope. (laughs) Every time there's a sickness or disease, we have that hope. I mean, that changes everything. But there's more that God wants to do. There's more that he wants to do in our lives. And this is what we need to, to address. He says, I will make a way, literally a roadway. And he, when he says this in verse 19, he's about to do something new. I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. It, it, and it's, it's been that, that God has done something very special to help his people move through difficulty. And you say, well, why would God put his people in the desert in the first place. <laughs> and it's like every experience you read about in the Bible where, where Israel was up against the Red Sea and there's no place to go and the Egyptian army is about to destroy them, he makes a way. He makes a way through the Red Sea. That way, he, that time he parted the waters. Now it's saying, I'm going to make a way through the wilderness. And you, 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 you feel like we're, there's nothing out here. We're in a dry and wasted land. How do we make, through, make it through? He says, I will make a way. I will make a way. And I, and I believe this, that God allows difficulty, struggle, disappointment, hardship to, to allow us to recognize our need for him and to draw to him. So this is the question he asks. Do you not see it? Do you not see it? Why don't we see God wanting to do something new in our lives. Why don't we see it? How is it that we get to the point where we just repeat last year and not really grow? Sometimes it's our experiences. We've had success last year, so we just kind of do it again. (laughs) 
Sometimes it's failure in our lives. We don't ever want that again. Sometimes it's guilt that makes us feel ashamed. And we don't see it. We can be blinded by our sin. We can be blinded by our expectations. I I find myself doing this a lot, is where I think, well, God would really like that. Have you ever done that? I think God would really like that. So let's do it. (laughs) And uh, I hate to think of how many times in my life I've thought, you know, that's a great idea. I think God would love it. Okay, let's, let's get going. And it was really more me or someone else. It wasn't God. Sometimes it's my lack of faith that I don't see it, my pride, my preoccupations, or my slow drift from God. I have found this, that I have been able to maintain disciplines of reading my Bible, praying, memorizing Scripture, and serving God, and all at the same time drifting away from Him. Do you follow me on that? (laughs) I mean... A slow drift, and I'm blind, and I can't see it. Remember someone this last week I, I heard spoke on this, that that when you're physically blind, and you could probably try to pretend, you know, if you've ever done this before, you pretend you're blind. If, if I close my eyes and pretend I'm blind, I'm going to have to immediately make some adjustments. One of those would be getting down off this platform without crashing. <laughs> But think about it. If I'm physically blind, I know I'm physically blind. And so everything has changed, and I make adjustments. When you're spiritually blind, you don't know it. This is a problem. Who has ever been spiritually blind and recognized it? And how would you ever recognize it? Because my... my my natural tendency is to be self-righteous. That's for all of us here. Is, you know what? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing better than, you always pick a few people that you're doing better than. <laughs> and say, you know what? I've been doing pretty well. And I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm going to church. I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing, doing all these things. And, and you're blind to the fact you're not doing well. You're not doing well. How will you ever know that you're not doing well if you're spiritually blind? Someone's got to tell you. (laughs) Someone's got to tell you. Most of us do not have a person or persons in our lives that would have the boldness and the ability and the kindness and the sweetness to be able to say, you know something, I think you're missing something here. I think you're missing something here. You know, when I was preparing this message, I thought, I don't have any blind spots. (laughs) But then I started to realize I do. Everybody has them. How am I going to find out what my blind spots are? Because if 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 I think things are going really well in my life, and, and there are things that God is trying to get my attention, and I'm not seeing it, how would I ever know? So I thought, well, I could ask Diane, and I thought, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> she might come up with something. <laughs> well, tell you one thing, you know, your wife, you know, she's, 
she's going to want me to do well more than anybody. She probably sees some things in my life um, that I'm not seeing. And so it took me about three quarters of the week to get through before I had the courage to ask her. It's kind of like, hey, hon, what do you think my blind spots are? And she just kind of stunned. She just kind of like, and uh, and then she said, I don't see any that you have. Um, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Would you really like to know what you said? Well, I have to, you have to pay more for that to hear. Um, and it's like, oh, oh, oh. Now, to be honest with you, I don't really like opening up like that because it's kind of like you're just like asking someone to club you. But I'm not going to grow if I don't do that. Now, I, I, could, I could ask you, ask some of you, do you see any blind spots in my life? Well, you probably say, oh, no, Pastor, you're just wonderful, you know. Well, with most of our acquaintances and friends, we're not going to say a lot. But there are people in your life that you do trust and you value and that do know and see things in your life. And I feel this is part of the message of a prophet is, is bringing, getting real about what the problems are, what needs to be changed. And the second part of it is giving incredible hope in Jesus to make that change. Because in the same way that Jesus did what was needed to save your soul, He is the same Jesus that is able to change your life to be more like Him. And if I go into to the new, to the new year and... Uh, and I'm saying, let's see, okay, what are, what are my goals this year? Uh, see, I do this every year. This is kind of really messed, this whole thing has really messed this up for me. Um, because typically I think, okay, what did I do well? What did I not do well? What are the goals that I'm going to have for this coming year? And I do all this within my own little world of self-righteousness. And I feel pretty good about myself going into the new year. But I, I think for the first time, I think, God has uh, stripped away some of that, those protective layers of, I'm just going to kind of keep on pressing forward. The new thing that he's really speaking about here in Isaiah 43 is Jesus. That's why when Jesus comes into the world and we celebrate his birth, he comes into the world, it makes it real. And... I don't, I don't really question whether or not there are any self-righteous people in here because you're all self-righteous. And the guy speaking to you is self-righteous. He's also self-indulgent. You say, well, all of us have that. We're, we're just wired that way. I like to please my flesh. I like to do what I want to do. I have that natural bent. Now, some of us are worse than others, granted. But I also have this, this feeling of when I'm doing well. So I, I started thinking about this, the, the people that know me best and trust me the most, and I trust them to speak the truth 
if I were to ask them, what are some things in my life that you see that God, you, you believe God would really want to change? And to realize that that same message that is a bit confronting and challenging to you <laughs> is also an opportunity for a hope and a change and a transformation. And that's what I thought, you know, you look forward to the new year, new year's resolution, blah, 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 I go on the same, go through the next year. I thought, I think God wants to do something greater than that, better than that. I think that as I look at my independence, my, the way that I understand myself is often skewed. It's often warped. It's often affected by my flesh, my self-righteousness. But Jesus is like, the, he's that water in the wilderness. Uh, when, you know, when you, you remember if you've read through the uh, Old Testament that there's a time that Israel was thirsty and God told Moses, go take, go take your staff and strike the rock. And he struck the rock and water came out and everybody drank. In the New Testament, it's explained to us that that rock is Christ. <laughs> so the water, it satisfies. And Jesus, when he was at the well with the, with the woman in John chapter 4, he says, I'm going to give you water where you'll, you'll never thirst again. And David cried out in Psalm 63, God, you're my God. I, I seek you eagerly. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a, in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. And I thought, as, as God speaks his prophetic voice to me, it said, Jesus is here. But Jesus is here to save your soul and to change your life. And there's a prophetic surgical work where God confronts us out of his love with what needs to be changed. And he gives us hope for how he can change it through Jesus. And, and then we see Jesus is here. And so this, is, this has been, uh, and I hope every sermon I preach is, is God working here first before it ever comes to you. Because otherwise it doesn't work for me. But this one, when I started off studying for it, I thought how much everybody else needed it. <laughs> And I, it bugs me sometimes when I look at people and I say, they don't even see it. They're just, they, they got a blind spot. And I can point out everybody's blind spots around me. Can you do that? But who's pointing out mine? And I don't know that I've really let too many people do that. So my prayer is, and don't, don't everybody be writing to me all this week. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Pastor, but I've, I've got to be able to get to that point where I trust the working of Jesus in my life to show me what I've been ignoring, to get focus on it and experience His grace. And so when I read this passage, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. And He says, do you not see it? In other words, He, says, he doesn't say, do you see it? He says, do you not see it? Are you spiritually blind to what I am doing? Because you keep doing the things you've always done. 
I want to do something new. I want to do something great. I want to do something glorious. And it's not just out there. It's here. This is where it begins. And as, as much as I've prayed for this new year, Lord, Lord, I pray, bless our church and bless my family and bless us and, and provide a building for us. The greatest new thing that God wants to do is here for, for this person. And my prayer is that for as your pastor, which I feel so blessed and privileged to be, that 2019, that God would graciously pull away my blinders, show me my blind spots, and give me grace to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And that spillover of that process would encourage others as well. And I'd like for you to join me in that, to, to pray for that and anticipate that all of the newness that God wants to do, just as he did for Israel, just as he did for Jacob, that he would do for you this year. Father, we pray that your word would just lift our hearts with hope. And we thank you that in a very difficult time, you had a faithful voice in Isaiah speaking to your children. And your desire to continue to do what is new in their lives. That that would be evident. And so it is for us today, Lord. You have not changed. And your desire to change us to the likeness of your Son is ever before you. And so I pray that this coming year through this season of Christmas and as we anticipate 2019 would be filled with the anticipation of you doing a new thing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.